Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 94, Marriage and Friendship, How to Do Both Well. Welcome, guys. My name is Lori Krieg, and I am the executive director of Hole in My Heart Ministries, and we are coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I am alongside licensed therapist, Argyle expert, and my husband, Matt Krieg. Hello. Hey, hey. We also have our producer and the most professional radio voice among us. It is true still, (laughs) producer Steve. Hey. Hey, hey. (laughs) But we are going to dive today into how to cultivate healthy friendships as married people. But if you're single, I think that this will benefit you as well. Um, But I really wanted to unpack and explore this. Specifically, what are healthy boundaries to have? How can we be interdependent with our friends without crossing into perhaps codependence or relational idolatry? And to help us with this friendship conversation is our friend of the podcast, Kelly Needham, who if you guys recognize her name, she was here before, and we were talking before we started rolling, that we've only maybe had one other person, two other people, if you include Kurt Thompson in the little double series we did with him, that we've had back to the podcast. But this is such an important conversation, this friendship conversation, and so we're so excited to welcome back Kelly Needham. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you so much, Lori, Matt. I'm so glad to be here with you guys and honored to be part of the few that have yeah. been here twice. Awesome. The few, the proud, the HIMH. <laughs> um, but for those of you who perhaps don't know Kelly or didn't catch that episode on codependency, which was one of our more listened to ones of last year, um, but she is an author, speaker, and blogger. And if you recognize that last name, she is married to Christian music artist Jimmy Needham. But her life goal is to convince as many people as possible that nothing compares to knowing Jesus. So I am excited to unpack that further. And Kelly, before we do that, uh, I need to know a little answer to the question of the week from last week, which is about friendship. And what drew you, Kelly, to your first friend when you were a kid? Was it like a game you played or proximity or mutual likes for something? (laughs) I I wish it's. What's something as pleasant as that? Um, <laughs> I was actually new to school, second grade, and was being made fun of for a couple of different things. And so Aww. was my friend, Samantha. Um, she was from England. And so people made fun of her accent. And I had ears that kind of stuck out, were a little too big for my head. And uh, so we weren't very cool. And we bonded over that. <laughs> so Man. I know. But honestly, it was a we were really good friends, still are friends, actually friends all through our growing up years. And so I wouldn't trade it. (laughs) That's really sweet. It's funny how suffering can do that. Although I'm very sad. Also, British accents are superior to the American accent. So I don't know. Yes. Your bullies had it wrong. (laughs) Uh, They totally did. Matt, which listener stood out to you? All right. The listener that, that stuck out to me was Jonah, our friend on Facebook. And he said, his friendship that the thing that drew him to his friendship was the fact that it was arranged by his parents an arranged friendship friendship. (laughs) yes he said they both had a mutual love of legos and they built random sets together in his basement so matt is this where you tell me you had an arranged friendship well i kind of did in the sense that it it was arranged through my dad buying a house across the street so well all right, a little stretch, but I mean, I'll, I'll take yeah, it. it's you know, for me, it was mostly proximity. I mean, he was across the street, and then he basically just lived at our house every day mm-hmm. through high school. Steve, how about you? Well, I like what Danny shared with us. When I was a kid, I was always drawn to the most athletic kids in school. I think I literally picked my first best friend 
based solely on the fact that he was the fastest kid on the playground. I guess, subconsciously, I hope that some of their talent might rub off on me. Uh, And uh, interestingly, Danny, uh, and also, Kelly, my story is a little bit like yours in uh, third grade. I was in this gigantic elementary school that had like multiple third grades, you know, but we had like recess at the same time. So it was a kid who I didn't I, I didn't know. But I was out there on the playground and kind of getting bullied. I was I was a pretty skinny kid mm. uh, when I was little. And this, like, seriously, like, Superman, like, he was very athletic. He literally stepped in and said, why don't you pick on someone your own size? Like, wow. he actually said that <laughs> sentence. Line. He said that line. And I was like, I don't know who you are. You don't know me. But these kids <laughs> went running. And me and Jimmy Scoggins is his name. Mm. We were best friends from from then on until I moved out, out of that state a couple of years later. But yeah, we were like inseparable after that. Oh, that's so sweet. That's awesome. I appreciated this answer from listener Jessica on Instagram. What drew my childhood best friend and I together is the first time we were playing on the playground together through a conversation we discovered that we were both in the same Christmas program that year, even though we went to different churches, and we even had the same role in the Christmas play. So we both knew the same dance, and (laughs) I believe we ended up doing this dance on the playground together because we were weird and we didn't like playing sports or anything outside. (laughs) That's cute. (laughs) Well, my like first friends uh, were Kelsey and Amber and I knew them at church and we did, you just kind of sit by each other in church Sunday school. And so that was automatic friendship. And then we did the the church play. And I remember I was the letter P. P is for peace on earth. That was Hmm. the start of my line. And so Amber is still one of my dear friends and she was on this podcast way back. Uh, so that was our connection. So I appreciated that. So P is now for podcast. P is for podcast. There you so go. That's what the kids are saying now. <laughs> uh, but thanks so much for uh, those of you listeners who respond to these questions. I primarily post them on Facebook. So find me there, Lori Krieg, or on Instagram. And I post them mm, sometimes hours before we record. However, thank you for your responses. And we just really appreciate hearing your voices. All right, Kelly, we're going to dive in now to this conversation on friendship. But you know that we ask everyone the set of questions about when was the gospel first good news for you and how is it still? So since we've already explored that one with you and your previous interview with us, um, I just would love when was the just a reminder of when did you first know Jesus and, and how do you how you need him lately, Kelly? Mm, um Man, Jesus and I built a friendship starting around junior high. Um, That's really when the good news of his offer to know him through his own work and not mine really became solidified just through reading the word on my own and couldn't get enough after that of Mm -hmm. just meeting with him in the word and in prayer. And lately, man, the season of life I'm in, I have a lot of things where a lot of places in my life where I feel insecure. There's a lot of new newness in the season that I'm in. And so, um, just things that I'm not naturally good at. And so it's exposing me to failure, insecurity. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that Jesus never failed, that he is literally my success, my victory, that's so freeing. It frees me to fail, frees me to 
let my insecurities out and know that it's not going to affect my relationship with God or with others. Mm. I don't think there's a listener relate that's listening who cannot relate to that, where we feel when we're stepping out of these unknown spaces where you just kind of get this terror and you're like, ah, are you still good? Am I still okay? So mm, <laughs> yes, yes and amen. Okay, so you wrote a book called Friendish, and you're really unpacking just healthy friendship, unhealthy friendship, and um, you know I alluded to relational idolatry, which in the last time we talked, we talked about that as codependency, but really it's putting people above God. Why did you choose to write this book? Well, two reasons really. I, I wrote this book because I love friendship. That my friendships with others have really formed and shaped me. I wouldn't be who I am today without them. I wouldn't be able to live life today without the good friendships I have. And it also was the resource that I feel like I needed uh, about 10 plus years ago when I was seeing friendships around me that that looked good, but, but had some negative side effects coming out of them. Mm-hmm. And again, because I loved friendship, I was like, what's going on here? We, we, we need to, how do we fight for healthy friendship? And I kept looking for a book that would address some of those things and, and yeah. couldn't find it. So yeah. I started doing my own research and, and study. And, and that's really the genesis of this book. Why is it so critical for right now? Like, why do you feel like 2019 needs a friendship book? Yeah, I think there's, again, there's a few reasons. I would say everything from the fact that we have the largest single population in our nation that we've ever had. Mm. And so more and more for people, for adults who are are walking in singleness, those friendships really are uh, the baseline of their um, community and stability in in their life. And so it's important. And also there's a lot of new messages being um, portrayed by our culture about friendship, what it should be like, um, what we should expect from it, mm. new versions of that um, that we're seeing in movies and magazines and all sorts of things. And then mix that in with some of the confusion about sexuality. And I think it's just a storm for a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, we really need friendships right now. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. it's important for us to figure this out. Yeah, it so is. Okay, so let's let's unpack that a bit there. Uh so what is the difference between marital friendships? So you hear people, my husband's my best friend or, you know, my wife's my best friend. Like, what's the difference between that friendship and non-marital friendship? Well, this may sound really super simple, but in a in a friendship with your spouse, you're in covenant with them. You're, you know, in a marriage covenant. And so within that covenant, there's a sense of ownership. You belong to one another. There's exclusivity in that covenant that it's just between a man and a woman. There's no one else involved in it. And so that breeds a healthy jealousy that I should feel jealous if a woman is hitting on my husband, right? <laughs> like that's a sign that there's there's health there. If I'm like, well, whatever, it's fine. That's not okay. Yeah. Um, and in a, in a friendship with someone who we're not married to, those things are not there. There is no ownership. I don't own my friends. Um, there should be no exclusivity there that it's just me and them. We should have, you know, be open to new friends joining and we should be open handed with them again, because they don't belong to us. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're really ultimately responsible to God who they're in covenant with in, you know, through Christ and also to any spouse that they're married to. They, we need to be open handed with them so that they can be obedient to those covenants that they're in. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the primary difference is that, that covenant nature in the relationship. So what about people who now are like in covenant relationships 
in friendships to each other. What do you say to that? Because they'll allude to this Jonathan and David covenant that they made with each other. How, how would you yep. respond to them? Well, what I would say about Jonathan and David's covenant is that it is descriptive of their situation. It's not prescriptive. So the Bible doesn't at any point use their covenant and say, therefore, you do likewise. Mm. It's a, a narrative. It's a story. And if you look at their story, I think that the only reason they could be friends is because of their covenant, because their families are at war with each other. I mean, it's kind mm. of Romeo and Juliet-esque that mm-hmm. David is a, a literal threat to Jonathan. Jonathan is next in line to the throne because his father Saul is king, but now David's been anointed king. So David has every reason not to trust Jonathan because of his father, because of his place in the kingdom. And so there's a lot of really unique things happening in Jonathan and David's lives that really make that covenant super necessary for them to be able to trust each other. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. And I did read because I know that in your book, in the last like chunk, like you, you really do unpack a lot of the Jonathan and David relationship and just for how and why that's not necessary. That's not a marriage covenant. And that's not that's, again, descriptive as opposed to prescriptive. Right. So, okay, let's think about marriage, someone who's married specifically, because that's what we titled this podcast. But also I get a (laughs) lot of um, questions from married spouses and they're like, okay, I want to love my spouse, but they're, uh, you know, they're, they're engaging in friendships, relationships that maybe me as a spouse, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I don't feel comfortable with it, but I feel kind of guilty for feeling uncomfortable with it. And so it might be, you know, a guy getting, who's maybe a same sex attracted guy who's getting to the wife too close to these other guys. And she feels uncomfortable with it, but feels guilty for that. Cause she's like, well, he needs same sex friendships mm-hmm. or likewise, you know, heterosexual couple, both are straight, the husband or wife, mm-hmm. the wife getting too close to other guys. Like, you know, you don't want to be the weirdo in the relationship, but, but what are the <laughs> signs that a friendship is crossing into something unhealthy? Yeah, man, I, that's that's really hard to tell in every situation, but there are a couple things I would say that um, we can maybe look at to discern that. And I think one of them is an issue of loyalty. So, you know, when we think about who, where our loyalty should lie. So as Christians, our first loyalty should be to Christ, that that should have our, our preeminent default should be toward him. And then if we're married, we've made now a, a covenant to prefer our spouse above all others to fight mm-hmm. for that unity with them. And and that can be hard in seasons where we don't feel close to our spouse. I think that's where the the risk of friendships kind of getting in in an unhealthy way can be hard. But if we remember as Christians, the reason that we, we fight for that loyalty with our spouse is because our marriage is telling a story about the gospel. It's a shadow of a really important truth that we're telling the world. And so we, we fight for that to be healthy. And so if a friendship is beginning to encroach upon our loyalty with our spouse or with Christ, man, that's, that's a warning sign for us. And that could look any number of ways. Um, it could look like we are sharing first, um, like really precious, deep parts of our hearts with friends and not at all with our spouse, or, you know, we're sharing them always there first, or when push comes to shove between those two relationships, we're preferring our friend over our spouse, um, there are ways we can kind of hide that and get around it. But there's a, a loyalty issue happening that we're saying more than I feel 
loyal to my spouse. I feel loyal to this friend or this group of friends. Mm. And that's, that's not okay for us. And that might take a lot of faith and it, it might not feel natural to realign that loyalty right away, but it's important for us to do that because that's where God would have our loyalties be for his namesake. Mm -hmm. And so along with that loyalty, well, if you have a loyalty to a friend that, you know, is unhealthily strong, uh, you might be experiencing jealousy in that friendship or dependency in that friendship. You know, if you and your husband or you and your wife go on vacation and one of you can't, can't go the whole week without checking in with your friend, that's probably not a good sign that it's probably not health in that friendship. Um, Mm -hmm. Or if that, friend makes a new friend and you as the married person are jealous of that, that again, that's alerting you. There's some, some kind of ownership happening there that shouldn't be only in mm-hmm. your marriage. Should you have that level of ownership? And so those are just a few things that we can be looking for to just see if, if we're out of place in that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I like how you used always in the sense, like, are you always going to other people as opposed to your spouse to share these deep places of your heart? Because there are times where, um, you know, I, I can see, again, if we use the word codependency or relational idolatry, that can happen with our spouses, where we can That's elevate right. them to be, you know, only Matt can know this or only I can right. go to him and I'm not healthily interdependent on friends as well. So I'll share this maybe deep part, but I, I can't, I'm going to wear this brother out and I'm patting Matt on the shoulder right now. <laughs> He's the only <laughs> receiver of my heart. He's going to be like, please go talk to someone else. Pretty yes. sure I've said those exact sentences before. Huh? And especially after a long day of counseling a bunch of other people. No, you don't want to counsel me. Okay. But uh, how does that, like, how, how do you not be codependent or relationally overly dependent on your spouse? Like what does healthy interdependence look like with your spouse in this covenant relationship with other people? You know, we're called to be in community and community is is plural. So it's not like when you get married, that's your community. There you go. You're good. You know, yeah. you got your one person. Yep. And for some people, we'd rather do that. It feels safe, right? They're they're bound to me. They can't leave me. So when I air all my junk in front of them, like they, they're probably not going to leave. And we can sometimes feel uncertain about that with friendships. But it's it, you're right. It's not okay to put the weight of all of our relational need on a spouse. They can't bear that. We need mm-hmm. a community. And if you're married, your spouse is part of that community. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. I know some people listening might be married to someone who's not a believer. And that, that definitely has a whole nother dynamic to it, but you need a community and your spouse is part of it. And so we should be sharing with friends and, and we should be leaning on them. And I think, you know, for most of us, we, we have an internal conscience, I think that helps guide us in this way that say I have a hard day at work and, you know, I, I just need to process that with somebody. If I call a friend on my way home before I've talked to Jimmy and I'm just downloading to them and like, man, I need some advice in this area. I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, now if I get home and I, Jimmy asked me, how's your day? Did you have a good day? And I'm immediately like, I don't want to tell him. I feel that in me. You know, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. want to tell him about my hard day mm-hmm. and I resist the honesty that should be coming out of my heart to hurt him. Okay. There's something wrong there, you know, that mm-hmm. I want to share with my friend, but I, I don't want to share the same thing with him. And then there's other types of information that I do think I know internally, my spouse should know this about me first. So if I've sinned sexually in some way, then I need to be first confessing that to my spouse before I'm going, you know, to a friend and sharing those things because it first affects them or, Mm -hmm. you know, 
if I'm struggling with some other type of thing that feels very personal to us. Now, eventually, hopefully I will share with my community of those struggles. Again, we need that community to come in and speak into that. But um, there's some things I should tell my spouse first and I should be guarded about with sharing with friends because it's it's not their business yet. You know, I, I need to first share it here. That is important. And I just, I want to double underline some things that you said, like the piece about falling sexually. So like, you know, I picture like a couple like Matt and I, like, let's say I, I stumble. And for me to go to a girlfriend first, that doesn't make sense because not just because, oh, I have to, because Matt is Matt and, oh, he's the friend who I have sex with. <laughs> Sorry, but to be bold. <laughs> no, it's because what is sex? Sex is mm-hmm. a is a covenant representation. So what you said, That's this right. is again what needs to be double underlined, is marriage is not just another friendship. It is mm-hmm. a covenant and it is a metaphor of the oneness God, Christ, wants to have and does have in this already not yet oneness Mm -hmm. with the church and so and so underneath that the sex piece is this that's where matt and i model uh as we work on our metaphor inside of a metaphor how jesus covenanted to us whole body on the cross that's what sex is and so for me if i fall or stumble in a sexual way or if matt does i'm breaking covenant with matt I'm not just doing a regular old sin. <laughs> like I'm really, we, we've damaged the metaphor here. And so for me to take it outside of our marriage covenant relationship, that's, that's doing uh, extra damage. I got to repair it here first. Does mm-hmm. that resonate with you? It totally does. Yeah. It's, it's an issue of, um, I, I've sinned against God and them. And so in yeah. that order, I go to them both. Right. And, yeah. and, I ask for grace in both those areas and seek restoration. And sometimes it doesn't need to travel further than that. But I do know for some people that I've walked with struggling with really addictive, you know, whether it be pornography, fantasies, all sorts of other things, um, they have had to employ the help of community. But it's it's first coming out of, I need to be on the same page with my spouse in this struggle, that they need to know all of it. They need to be in it with me and be part of Uh, the helping of making that decision. You know, sometimes you have to ask permission from your spouse because Mm -hmm. it affects them. Hey, is it okay if I share this with a small group of girlfriends or a counselor or someone else because I need some extra help and truth and wisdom? But you're just honoring the fact that uh, they are involved, whether they want to be or not, in, in our sexual issues when we're married your problems are my problems, right? And Mm -hmm. so it's good for us to honor their position in that way Mm -hmm. and not subvert their position and and allow a friend to be there. Mm. I'm thinking right now, though, I'm sure there's some people listening who are like, my spouse is not safe to receive my sexual struggles. Mm -hmm. And that I just want to like look at them and say, I see you and I get it. Mm -hmm. And I, I read this somewhere and I don't know who said this, but to... You know, so perhaps you can't go to them because if you say something, mm-hmm. if you know they're not a believer or they're just extremely unhealthy, it's going to end up perhaps even violent for you. So to mm-hmm. go to a spouse, but again, this is the part I read, your heart is in a posture of, I am hopeful for one day for you to be able to be this covenant one flesh metaphor. So your heart isn't middle finger your spouse, (laughs) like, forget you, I'm going to go to my friend. Your heart is still even in a posture of hope and prayer that one day they'll be able to be safe. But then you're, 
you're telling your other your counter, accountability person or whomever it is, uh, not with a spiteful words, either self hatred or hatred toward your spouse, but with openness toward them that one day they'll be able to be that person. Totally. It's it's a, a hoping and longing always for reconciliation, yeah. but understanding that sometimes because we're in a fallen, broken world, that can't happen in the fullest, truest way that we want right now. And you do have to exercise wisdom. Mm-hmm. But the, hopefully the heart posture is I'm hoping and praying for my spouse to become a safe person that we might walk out this covenant in the way it was intended. Yep. And, in, you know, that we're praying for that. Like you said, we're not giving... Uh, we're not trying to walk in cynicism or giving the middle finger. We're we're mm-hmm. fighting for that in our hearts, but yeah. yet still going, I have to have accountability here. Yeah. I'm going to go to somebody and I'm going to ask them too. please pray for my spouse that God will help fight, you know, make us more unified and, and fight for that. Mm. I'm really glad that, that you went there. Cause as we were having the conversation, I'm automatically like thinking about clients that mm-hmm. are, that are coming from a, either a trauma history or, you know, whose, whose spouses might be emotionally, spiritually, if not physically abusive. Mm. And, and so, yeah, to, to have kind of that caveat of, Hey, this isn't just a universal line that your spouse has to be the number one person because they're your spouse, Mm -hmm. because in those instances of, of when there is abuse and not just someone getting mad, you know, but when there is abuse, the, the spouse has broken covenant and maybe is ongoingly breaking that covenant. So the person, so let's say the abused one perhaps engaged in sexual sin, but then you're saying the one who is the abuser, they're breaking covenant too. Yeah. By, by, by demeaning the dignity of the person that they're abusing, Mm -hmm. they've, they have ongoingly or, you know, whatever broken that covenant. And so I don't, you can't protect a, a covenant if it's not there. Now that doesn't mean again, that you don't, hope for reconciliation and move toward that. But that means that you, you don't just blindly pretend that this person is a safe person to talk to, Mm. you know, and a safe person to like the covenant that you're going for. It it wasn't there in the first place. Mm. You know, if this abuse has been kind of the systemic thing, again, this doesn't mean just if you tell them they're going to be mad, obviously if you've sinned against them, they have a right to be mad and there's a reason for that. But if there is a, you know, a, a history of abuse of any kind, then I would just, mm-hmm. I'm thankful that you're saying it's okay, like, hey, to, to use the community that, that God has placed with you as opposed yes. to just force, kind of forcibly going to your husband out of this like sheer, like white knuckle determination to, to maintain something. Mm. Totally. I think too, you, you see the same principle in marriages where um, maybe you're married to an unbeliever. They might not be abusive or harsh in any way, but say, you know, you um, look at pornography or you, you know, do something else that you consider in your own heart against the Lord and against your marriage sinful. You might go to them and confess that. And they're like, that's fine. I think that's great. Whatever, you know, Hmm. Um, they may not feel the same conviction you do. And so at that point, you might need to lean on your community if mm-hmm. you don't, your husband or wife doesn't share your faith to say, this is breaking covenant with my spouse and they don't care, but it also is breaking covenant with the Lord as yeah. I walk in these things and I need help and accountability in this. And and my spouse can't be that, you know. Mm. Okay. Question about best friend. Is our husband, wife supposed to be our best friend? And do single people get best friends? You know, um, I think how we define this word best friend is really key in a lot of this, that um, I want to give a category for there being people who 
are married and fighting for healthy covenant with their spouses, and I'm thinking particularly of people who are married to a non-believer, um, they're just there are things if your spouse is not a believer and you are that you're just not going to feel a kindredness with them on a lot of levels. And that's okay. I think there's something like that at play in Jonathan and David, that they have um, both a passion for God's kingdom and God's name in a way that no one else in Israel in that time gets. You see both of them Hmm. just making huge sacrifices to say, God is worth it, guys, come on, like believe in him. Hmm. Even their wives are not doing that. And so I don't think it's surprising when Jonathan dies that David said, your love has been better to me than the love of women because you get Jesus. Of course, I don't know Christ, but you get God, you (laughs) get, you know, the Lord, he, he is preeminent and important and no one else has shared that with me. And so if you're married to a non-believer and you find other Christians of the same gender who get it, you're probably going to feel closer to them in a way than you do to your spouse. And I think that's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But your spouse is somebody you're still in covenant with, and that's different. Mm-hmm. And so if your husband gets a job across the country, you move with him. You don't say, I'm going to stay behind and move in with my friends who are in my church community. See you later. No, you're in covenant with them. And that that loyalty becomes still, if they're not a believer, it's still preeminent. Um, And so hopefully for those of us who are married to people who trust in Christ with us, that sense of, man, this person gets it and we're fighting for covenant together should create a sensation that's like, you're my closest friend on Mm. many levels. You Mm. know, we're in one, in a covenant together. We have a friendship that's blooming and, you know, has Christ in it. Hopefully you should feel that way. And I think if you have a, if you're married to a believer, you should hope and want for that. I I think it would be a healthy thing for us to want our spouses to be our closest companion and friend. But if there are times it doesn't feel that way, I think that that's okay. So long as we're still um, giving the covenant of marriage, its rightful place in our lives. Hmm. But what about single people? Like, Okay, so I love that this covenant language has littered this conversation because it's so different than friendship, than close friendship. Mm -hmm. Like it's a metaphor. Mm -hmm. Marriage is just this outrageous, gorgeous thing, which I am Mm -hmm. so thankful to see now after (laughs) these years. I'm so thankful to God. Uh, But single people, like, can they have a best friend? And like, again, this is where it seems to get blurry. Like it's not a covenant Mm -hmm. Like you, you started out our conversation talking about how we hold our friends with open hands, but like, isn't that like, is that mean? Is that unfair? Like they don't, they just have to live these transient, I want to see, we would say lonely perhaps lives, like where there's no commitment to each other. Mm. I, I think that there should be commitments that single people feel, but primarily those, um, commit communal commitments should be happening through the local church that the church is meant to be a group of people who are together, like committing to one another saying, I'm going to be here for you. That the, we're the dependence on like, I know that this person's going to be here for me is primarily acting out in a community, not just with an individual person. Hmm. The obligations are, are corporate, not singular. And I think it's totally right for married people and single people alike to come to their church that they're a part of and, expect and even like ask for those things like, Hey, I'm a member here. I'm experiencing these hard things in my life. I need someone to be here for me. And my, you know, close friends have moved or, you know, whatever's going on. Who's going to take me to the hospital when I have to get the surgery? I need someone to be there for me. And your church should 
act on that because they're obligated to care for you. Um, and we're all a part of that. If we're in local churches, I'm a part of that as a married person to help flesh that out for married or single people around me. So I don't think it's, again, I don't think the word best friend is wrong, but I don't think it's right that we build covenants into our friendships. Um, I don't think you see anywhere in the Bible a, a case being made for that. Again, I think Jonathan David is really unique. Most of us don't need a covenant to like make a friendship happen because our families are at war with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the average person, we don't need that. And I don't think that that condemns single people to loneliness or just missing out on something huge. I think if we believe that, then what we're admitting is that we think marriage satisfies preeminently in our hearts. And it doesn't. Marriage is a shadow of the real thing of uni- union with Christ. And for the single and married person, we have that. So the single person has the reality that the married person is shadowing. That, yep. Hey, you're one with Christ. You have him. You have the real thing. We're just in the, the shadow over here. We're trying to shadow it and, and picture it. But the real thing is yours in Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's what really fulfills. That fulfills the married person and the single person. So they shouldn't be more lonely. Mm-hmm. Um and the, the married person shouldn't be lonely, not because they're married, but because they have Christ. Yeah, that's that's really important. I'm just picturing some of my single friends who I just admire them so much. And the healthiest ones from at least my limited perspective are those that are modeling exactly what you're saying, because they're essentially a metaphor, too. We're a metaphor of Christ mm-hmm. and the church being one, but they're a metaphor of how we're all going to be in eternity, that they're right. married to Jesus, which we roll our mm-hmm. eyes at that because that's what, you know, that was like code for I don't want to date you in Christian <laughs> university. I'm just dating Jesus. But it it really is true. And and so the I feel like the the single people that I admire the most, they have this peace on their face. And they talk about Jesus with such richness like he could be in the room and in so many ways mm. like he 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 is, but they That's they right. know him and it stirs this hunger in me to know him like they do. And simultaneously as they talk about Jesus like that, I sense in their relationship to human people, to the church is commitment, but not grabbiness. I think, you know, unhealthy married and single people, they grab the throat of other people and say, you complete me, church, you fulfill Mm -hmm. me. It's like, Instead, mm-hmm. and again, this is very anecdotal, but it's it's instead hands open these healthy single and married people to friendships and relationships around them of, will you join me in this? I am so complete by Jesus, but will you join me in this? This is an awesome opportunity. That's right. Really, in, in some ways, the married person and the single person are a parable to one another. Yep. That the single person is preaching to the married, hey, Christ is enough. He is fully sufficient mm-hmm. to satisfy you, to complete you, to bring everlasting joy in his presence. And the married person is preaching to the single, hey, how me and my husband are one and how we are committed to another. Christ is that for you, that you are one with him in the same way. Even if you don't feel it today, this is a parable to you. And and so we're really preaching to each other. We need both examples yeah. because— Marriage doesn't satisfy. Singleness, being free of all those commitments, doesn't satisfy. Christ satisfies. And we're both telling that parable, that story in a different way. So stinking good, Kelly. That is so good and so needed. Again, this message is critical for right now. 
Um, mm-hmm. So if I'm thinking about, you know, we, we keep seeing statistics and surveys and things like that of this is the loneliest generation. We're so, so lonely, 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 lonely. So if someone's listening right now and they're like, maybe even scared to reach out for a healthy friendship because they know perhaps they've done things like reached out to one person and they over sucked the life out of them or they Mm -hmm. the person failed them and so now they're listening right now and they're feeling maybe alone and lonely and they hear you painting this gorgeous picture of how the church needs to come alongside them what's what's a step they could take right now as they're listening they're like people are scary and they burn you and i'm unpredictable because i you know i overly depend on people like what could they do right now what could they do today yeah i think The first thing that I would say in how do you build that healthy community is remember that your loneliness is primarily alleviated in Christ. Hmm. And I know that's really hard to believe, but you see Adam in the garden, not lonely before Eve is created, but alone. It's not good to be alone, but he's not lonely. He's with God in God's presence, but God says it's not good for you to be alone. And it's after Eve is there when sin enters the picture, that they are lonely, that they are removed from God and from one another in isolation. And so loneliness came as a result of sin, not aloneness. And so when we think of our own loneliness, I think part of the reason it's it's so prevalent is we're looking to people as the only and primary solution to our loneliness. Hmm. And I would say, if we will first take that ache inside that just feels like a weight so heavy and real, if we will start taking that to God and say, God, I don't believe that you're enough. I mean, that's how we honestly feel most of the time. You're invisible. Mm. I can't see you. You can't talk back to me. I can't, you can't hug me. I, God, I don't know if I believe you can be that for me. Will you change my mind? Will you help me? And I'm going to come to you and bring my loneliness to you. And then I'm also going to believe that it's not good for me to be alone, that that is a statement you have made about my humanity. It's not good for me. So even if I would prefer to be alone because it feels safer, I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to call somebody up. I'm going to plug into that church and commit to it, though I've been avoiding it. Or I'm not going to wait for someone to initiate with me. Um, I'm going to reach out and know that I might not get the response I wanted, but I'm going to choose in faith mm-hmm. to believe that what you say is right about me. It's not good for me to be alone. And I'm going to call that friend up and say, hey, can we go to coffee? I'm not going to put all my eggs in one basket. I'm going to just go, I need a community of people. And I reach out. And that whole process can feel really scary. And it's not going to fix things overnight. But I think taking loneliness first to Christ and then believing him, it's not good for you to be alone and taking steps in that direction. Over time, you're going to see change happen in your own heart and in your life, in the the presence of the people that are around you. Mm. And I think too, well, thank you for that. But I want to look too at the married people for a second. And I probably at least like half my friends are single. And there's times where it's, it's hard. It's a challenge to open up time and to say yes and to, um, you know, I think I just assume that they're going to go home and do what Matt and I do, even after he has eight clients in a row. And I'm like, please talk to me. <laughs> um, is that they are going to go home and have that person. And, and sometimes they don't. And yes, they can go and talk to Jesus. But there's times where I, as a married person, need to put myself in their shoes and think, can I, can I just suck it up right now, Lori? And can you just actually mm-hmm. love this human who Jesus loves and show them... Um, 
the love of the father as opposed to just being like, well, I'm tired and I'm an introvert. And, and just, I, I honestly, I just finished the story in my head that they're going to go home and talk to someone. And so right. we as married people too need to get out of our own heads and the assumption that everyone is just going to go home and detox their day with another person and, and to offer a bit of ourselves too, not all, you know, not every yes. inch of us, but a bit of ourselves because it's, it can be a solitary and overly lonely. That's where we can bear each other's burdens. Yes, totally. And I think that could even, for married people listening, an easy step in that way is to think of the single people in your life and to crack that door open for them first yeah. to just proactively say, hey, I know you might have times that are hard or lonely or you just need somebody to talk to. I just want you to know, even though, yes, I'm married and, you know, whatever you might think about my life, please give me the chance to be a friend to you. So if you have a hard day, will you call me? Okay. I'm just letting you know you can do that. And if you're single in the room and you would like to do that, you have to remember that no one can read your mind. Like no one knows mm. when you've had a rough day. Only you know that. And, you know, no one's alerted when I've had a ho horrible day and I need to talk to somebody. It's up to me to reach out. And so there's two, you know, two parts to that working well. And so married yep. people, we can open ourselves up and say, I need that. Single people ask for that. Yep. So good. Kelly, I'm so thankful for your voice and your heart and your Jesus focus um, and this book. So thanks so much for opening all of those pieces with us today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and talking about this really important topic. So, so important. So guys, you who are listening, we are going to connect you to this book and to uh, Kelly's Instagram and Twitter and everything so that you can connect with her. And so uh, she just, she also blogs, she writes some really beautiful things. And so I'm, I'm going to connect you with that so that you can connect to her. And guys, hey, just thanks so much for your reviews that you post on iTunes. They help other people to find us. Those five stars, we sure appreciate that. But really, honestly, your words are the most encouraging. Some of you take time out of your day to email us, just gratitude or prayer requests. So feel free to keep doing that. We are praying for you, and we just receive and love just, um, I don't know, just hearing how this podcast impacts your heart. So question of the week for next week. What was your favorite school lunch? either packed or the hot lunch variety. What's your deal, guys? What did you like? Matt and I got hooked on Dunkaroo conversation today, so we want to hear. Was it Dunkaroos or Lunchables? Those were pretty fancy growing up. Did you have Lunchables? You didn't have those, Steve. No, I'm too old. <laughs> you pack them for your kids? Or you're yeah. Like, <gasps> well, that was generous. we did yeah. at times. At it wasn't times. a regular thing. Oh, okay. Right. All right. Well, we want to hear from you all. Uh, just hit us up on the Instagram, the Facebook, sometimes the Twitter. Again, I'm hanging out on Instagram and Facebook more. But thanks so much for listening, guys, to this really important conversation. And for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week. to get to the bit, prize. You guys bit. make them work. It's it's kind of like um oh, I found this new show on Netflix what? called Hyperdrive. What's Hyperdrive? Uh, that's the one that we saw the preview of. It's like crazy car obstacle course. Yeah. Yeah, and I said 0% of me wants to watch yep. that. Steve's it, watching it. Oh man, I finished, man. I burned what? through that thing. What? Yes. And Kelly did or just you? Mm, just me and yeah, a couple see. of my boys. Um <laughs> it's like American Ninja Warrior meets The Fast and the Furious.
At zero percent still. Right. Still at zero. That doesn't. That's not <laughs> selling it for you. I Matt's really. though. Matt, you, where are you at? What percent? I. I'm probably at five percent. <laughs> but it's got that elimination component yeah. to it, where they get, layers keep coming of back. Elimination. Right. Right. Well. Anyway. But there's cool cars. They have to like soup them up. Yeah. Is that the word soup. Yeah. It's their own cars that they have invested and put all this. In. By oh, the okay. end of it, because they do it so many times. They look like trash. Oh man, it's like they had a demolition derby with really nice cars. One guy's got a Lamborghini. No. Okay, oh, yeah, so now, now okay, I want to watch it. Okay, now I'm a little it. interested. <laughs> I want to see cars there's, get wrecked. There's drifting. Lambos are not built to drift. They you just are said like, They're locked in. They are huggers. They're road huggers. So this guy. How do you know this? From watching the show. <laughs> I'm not a gearhead, but I mean just the stance of the car, the the <laughs> width of the wheelbase, everything. The I mean, right. they are yeah. they're built mm. to handle and, and be they're four tough. wheel drive. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Hmm. So they've got a this Lambo. this switch where he can turn it off and only have the Those rear Brigginis. wheel drive. <laughs> Those he can turn only the. He was saying an important thing. No, sorry, you can go ahead. Totally you just he kept saying very Lambo. Rejected All right I'm saying. <laughs> I'm sorry. I want, Tell I me the story. Have a core need, man. Yeah, for to be need seen. For you Continue to the story. Understand what I'm saying yeah. about Lambos. Yep. Lambo. Yeah. So Lambo anyway, Calrissian. <laughs> you're still not seeing <laughs> he's him. Coming back in the new Star Wars movie. Is he? Yeah, he's in the trailer. Is it Lando? It, it is. Okay, I knew things. Uh, All right, we Kelly call. says that she's ready to go. Okay. So let's dial let's her up. Let's do it. Here we go. 